you've fallen down the rock and roll rabbit hole. All right, welcome back to Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole. Yeah, we're back with one of my favorite songs of all times. Yes. I really, really enjoy the moment that this, uh, you know, brought to rock and roll and kind of a refreshing moment, I would say. Would you say? Well, and it's also in kind of uh, in in honor of, you know, Queen Elizabeth II, who died in September, September 8th. And so we decided to choose this song. Yeah. Uh, it's called God Save the Queen. It's a great tribute to her and her regime. <laughs> I don't think it's it's very tribute. It's not. Oh. It's not very tribute. We can talk about that later. <laughs> she died at age 196. Yeah. So, oh, sorry, 96, 96, not 196. Well, it just it, seemed it, like that long. She was always there, uh, quite a rock for Britain and and yeah. for us uh, uh, Anglophiles here in the states that yeah. kind of enjoy all things British. We have some of that British blood. We didn't did not get dismissed to Australia. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> no. So, none which of is, our which is a thing. None of our ancestors. Apparently I have no got Australian exiled. blood in me. Thank goodness. Right. So yeah, I didn't have any criminals in my in my uh, ancestry. Oh, apparently, <laughs> you think it's all that's down there? <laughs> well, so, that's what they would do. They would take the criminals know. and just ship them off to Australia. Uh, yeah, I know. I know. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> so Queen Elizabeth by all accounts a very decent and and good person right you know like but but the monarchy can be kind of a point of contention so the sex pistols definitely you know yep. took that to the uh to the mainstream with this uh 1977 7 yes 77 so. hit yeah so uh, it was a hit. We're going to get into yeah. that more. Um, I think we should start with the tail of the tape. Before tail we of the start tape. getting into the, uh, are we ready? Let's do One, it. One, two, three. <laughs> it never gets old. The tail of the tape. God Save the Queen is a song by the English punk rock band, The Sex Pistols. It was released as the band's second single and was later included on their only, only studio album. Yep. Never mind the bollocks. Here's the Sex Pistols. Yeah. Uh, the song's title is taken directly from the British National Anthem, and the song was released during Queen Elizabeth II's Silver Jubilee in 1977. The record's lyrics, as well as the cover, were controversial at the time, maybe even still controversial, I'm going to say. The independent, yeah. Yeah. The independent broadcasting authority refused to play the song, and the BBC instituted a total ban of its airing. No better marketing than that. Uh, The original title for the song was No Future, with uh, the lyrics themselves being an expression of the band's view of the monarchy or any individual or establishment of authority. Uh, God Save the Queen made it only to number two in the official UK singles charts. And we'll We'll talk talk about about that that. later. (laughs) Uh, It led to accusations by some that the chart was fixed. Um, the song did reach number one on the new Musical Express charts in the UK. I'm not as familiar with that, but British people probably are. Uh, the song topped the UK streaming charts 45 years after the initial re- release of the amazing. song. In perfect timing, as 2022 marked Queen Elizabeth II's Platinum Jubilee celebration. So the song went number 38 in New Zealand. Not as much uh, kind of uh, angst down there, I would say. Norway, number three. Sweden, number two. UK, official charts company, number two. UK, the NME, as before mentioned, number one. Yep. 
So there you go. The tail. Yeah. The tail of the tape. We are off and running, and now we have <laughs> the opening ceremonies. Yes. So we were unable to find actual British beer, but we did get some Carlsberg Pilsner. Probably the best beer in the world. Probably. <laughs> but we got this because it, even though it's a, it's a Danish beer, um, when I was in, the two times I was in England, I drank a lot of Carlsberg. And uh, Pete Best, the former Beatle drummer, actually did a commercial for Carlsberg back in the 80s. Oh. Where he said, he literally <laughs> said, and probably the best beer in the world. I love it. So the very popular in, in Britain. This or he beer. said, I'm sorry, probably the Pete best beer in the world Did that's what he? he said yeah the peak yeah. best <laughs> i yeah. like it so if you got that name you got to use it right exactly yeah. i'm sure that's why they contacted him often ridiculed mr pete best for uh, being kicked out of the beatles but seems to have a decent sense of humor about it he does because they paid him off for several million dollars a few years ago when uh, finally the, the anthology, anthology came out yeah but he, he drummed on, on several trucks in that first uh Oh yeah. Do you sense a little bitterness in his uh, a little, demeanor? Yeah. I mean, a and pretty I've, good. I've met him and I've, I interviewed him once, and um, he, yeah, yeah, a little bit, a little bit of bitterness. We're not paid by the Carlsbergers. No, we are not as of yet. But we Let's will hope toast that we can. the Queen. May she rest in peace. <laughs> and that probably is the best beer in the world. Does it take you back? It does. It take you back, back to, to Liverpool. To Liverpool. I like it. Bloody Liverpool. So, the Sex Pistols. You can't make up a better origin story for a band than a band that formed in Malcolm McLaren's sex shop on the yeah. King's Road, uh, stole their equipment, and were banned from radio. Like yep. That's like made for movies yep. and miniseries, which there is a miniseries out right now, I believe. So, But it's kind of... Uh, you know how they kind of juke up? Don't you feel like they always enhance the bios for artists? You really yep. don't have to do any uh, enhancement for the. Well, and like the bios for our band, I put the put that you're a neurosurgeon. <laughs> do you? Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> quite a bit of enhancement steady there for hands. sure. Yes, steady, steady hands. hands. <laughs> um, but you know the, the the thing that like for me is like I you know when when Queen Elizabeth died a few weeks back. Yeah. I wasn't moved in any way. I'm an American. Oh. And I get that we came from there, but I never really understood the interest by Americans in what's going on with the royal family. It's just like it's it's detached for me. Yeah. You know? And, yeah. and the funny thing is, that said, I understand because I remember the night that Princess, that Princess Diana was killed in that car wreck. Oh, that was hard. I was at Bluegrass Brewing Company watching... The Shannon Lawson Band, oh, featuring yeah. drummer John Hayes. Oh, nice. Who's yeah. our good friend and longtime drummer. <laughs> yes. And I remember that, like, people, the, the, the whispers started going around, Princess Diana's dead. She got yeah. killed in a car wreck. And I was like, no way, no way. Tragic. And I was there with, with, with several friends. And <clears throat> so the fact that I have that memory tells you how pervasive it is in American culture, even though... It has very little to do with us. Well, it has very little to do with us, but that was a heartbreaker right there. Sure, and, sure, and, sure. And I think that, you know... She was a tragic character. Yeah. She didn't want to be there, I don't think. I never thought that Diana wanted to be there necessarily. No, I, I completely agree with that. But I, I just think our country is just sort of... Um, they always have a lasting and... Uh, 
you know, sort of a innate interest in the mother country. It just is yeah. one of those things. And and the, the, the royal family itself represents kind of like, you know, sort of the height of fanciness and yep. and protected living or whatever. So it's always just kind of feels interesting to me, the height of style, you know. Queen Elizabeth seemed like a, a you know, probably a very dignified, oh, seemed like person. a lovely person. Yeah, she had to go through a lot of, uh, I think, you know, hiccups with her son being a little crazy, and yeah. and uh, you know, well, a lot of things have gone on with the royal family. But she liked dogs, so oh, well, there you go. You can't. <laughs> that's that's one of your people there. Yeah. But uh, what do you know about how the Sex Pistols themselves came together as a band? Do you know a lot about that? I really don't talk to me. Okay, the the Malcolm McLaren. Uh, had his uh, a fashion store on the right. King's Row, and they served at first like Teddy Boys. They had Teddy Boy clothes, which were sort of like what we are greasers, I suppose. Early right? Beatles, yeah. Early Beatles, so the kinda. Beatles were Teddy Boys, but they had really fine fashions out of this shop, and then they later changed it to a fetish shop. Um, I guess he was just always trying to shock people and be do something new. And um, Steve Jones kind of shoplifted there quite often. <laughs> and so he sort of knew Malcolm. And then Glenn Matlock, the bassist, also was a, you know, a, a visitor to the shop quite often. And then Johnny Rotten would occasionally, or John Lydon would or occasionally Lydon. come in with uh, John Simon Ritchie, two Johns, which was later uh, Johnny Rotten and Sid Vicious. And... Um, but uh, Malcolm McLaren had, uh, I've heard that he had Alice Cooper shop in the store one day and buy a shirt. And he got to thinking about rock and roll and obsessing on maybe forming a band. And, you know, the Beatles were only about, what, 10 years old at this point. Yeah. So, like, it just seemed like a, another good way to make money and to uh, cause a stir. And so he got Steve and Paul to start, you know, start practicing uh as a band in the shop and they were looking for a lead singer and i guess they had paul cook at this time probably the drummer as well but uh malcolm's partner at the shop which i'm gonna have to research that and i'll insert it here but uh vivian campbell she uh recommended one of the johns but there's a, a debate on whether she was recommending actually sid vicious john simon ritchie and not john lyden because she thought john lyden was maybe too had too much attitude and was too dangerous. But huh. when when yeah, but when they finally came back in the shop, Malcolm thought John Lydon looked like he fit the part and he had been, you know, recommended. So he had him audition to the jukebox and they played I'm eighteen by Alice Cooper and he mimicked the song sort of as the hunchback of Notre Dame, some real crazy, interesting thing. And so they, you know, I mean actually Steve and uh, Glenn weren't as impressed, but uh, Malcolm thought there's the guy. Correctly so, because man, yeah. Well, could they ever get a better spokesman for what they were trying to do? Yeah. <laughs> you and know? he was sort of like passively over the top, which was weird. No, t- yeah, you know, he owned it though, right? Yeah, it's sort of over the top and sneering and crazy, yeah, but also sort of just like, eh, what am I doing here? Yeah, if you watch him, he's just like. It really is the punk aesthetic. Yes. Uh, yeah. Maybe he was creating the punk aesthetic at well, the time. Well, I think then that's that's definitely a possibility. I mean, a lot of people will owe that to the Ramones, but I, I think that the Sex Pistols may have gotten there first with that kind of thing. They sort of perfected that. And, and the Ramones were more poppy. 
Right. And they were they were they were more and they they got political later, but they were more about just writing weird songs uh, and love songs and stuff that were meant to sound like Beach Boys songs, but they just couldn't sing. Well, they certainly. Uh, I think they are partly responsible for the Sex Pistols being a thing. The Ramones. They yep. they played in Europe. And they say there weren't that many people there, but everybody that was there formed a band, is what I hear. Like Billy Idol was there, you know, like David Bowie was there, all this stuff. But anyway, they they found John, and he's sort of an intellectual. Have you heard the guy's interviews? He's really swift, you know? Yeah, yeah. But I thought the lyrics he wrote were fantastic. And like sort of uh, this song here was just like a... Just sort of a rant against authority, right? And that was, yeah, that's how I came across. Just a rebellion against the monarchy. And the punk fans hated the monarchy. And they wanted they wanted everything, anything and everything that would criticize it. And they knew that. And that's, you know, again, like you said earlier, the song was initially had another title. <laughs> right. No Future. No Future. You know? And so I think I think Lydon came up with the idea to, to make it called God Save the Queen. I think Malcolm... Uh, Leiden wanted uh, no future. Malcolm. Oh, Malcolm's Malcolm okay. saw God Save the Queen, which is also the title of the, right, of the British National, National Anthem. Anthem. Yeah. So he knew that was provocative. If Malcolm's good at anything, it's being provocative. So he knew by naming it that, and there was some discussion over that. I think there may have even come to blows, but uh, by naming it that, I think they really. You know, they were set for all the conflict that they received, yeah. right? I mean, it probably helped it to get so big, to name it that. What do you figure? No, no, absolutely. And that, that's all the negative press it got, all that controversy made it a hit song. Had to, right? You know, <laughs> of course. And well, being banned, you know? Yeah. What do kids want more than something they can't get, you know? like Something or, they're not allowed to get. Yeah, something, something they're not allowed. They're told they can't have. Yeah, but the yeah. backdrop of this whole thing was there were all kinds of strikes, labor strikes in yeah. in England, and particularly, I think the one that sets the biggest backdrop is the uh, the uh, garbage strike. They said it went on for years. There was yeah. garbage just piling up on the streets. Yeah. Can you imagine? This was allegedly one of the hottest summers in Britain. Can you imagine the combination of a garbage strike in the hottest? I mean... It's like late te- 1800s New York. And there, was no, <laughs> there was no infrastructure. It's crazy. But Lydon said, when you feel powerless, you will grab any power you can to retain some kind of self-respect. Yeah. So kind of mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense. So uh, the song was like released right around the time of her Silver Jubilee, which is her 25th year... At, on the throne, they scrambled to get the, the records yeah. out. Yeah, and they and like they were like they were they had this big plan to play it on a boat, <laughs> right. so that they couldn't be arrested for for playing it on on land, and it didn't work out. The the, the the authorities nevertheless they were like as soon as the boat comes in we're gonna so they never got to play it they never got to to do that they didn't get to that what song a, it was two days right. before the jubilee and they. Yep. They got the, a boat, ironically named the Queen Elizabeth, yeah. <laughs> and they got to play, I think, one song before they were. But what, what also, what great publicity to be arrested and uh, roughly handled. And you know that that you know that that played into the song getting attention, probably uh, more so than if they gotten to play it. If it had been ignored, probably would have gone by the wayside. 
I well, I but agree. The, the authorities were like, "You will not play this song. Oh, you will not do this." You're, yeah, yeah. So, do we want to get to the TV appearance? I think that is one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite moments. Yeah, Did you see the the Bill Grundy show? Uh, I think it was called the Today Show. Yeah, yeah. but uh, Bill Grundy was the host, and he was like a uh, he was a long time, uh, you know, respected. Host, you know, sort of like a what would like a Dick Cavett would be here or something, yeah. and and Dick uh, <laughs> we're showing the, our age, yeah. But in the in the green room, I I'm think apparently we're eighty. Well, yeah, I think we're about <laughs> we're getting in that range. But anyway, um, they had free booze in the green room, and I think Steve Jones reports he drank three bottles of Blue Nun, which I. Can you, I can't imagine you could walk after that, but they came out feeling feeling good, you know? I think three balls of Carlsberg would do me in. Uh, right. So they have the Sex Pistols on stage with four members, I guess, of the Bromley contingent behind them. They're sort of punk rock uh, groupie types, you know? And uh, Susie Sue was there from Susie and the Banshees. Yeah. And, uh, but anyway, Bill Grundy sort of said... He said, here they are, the Sex Pistols, not your clean Rolling Stones, he said, <laughs> who were on trial for, like, you know, like heroin possession and crap at the time, you know. But anyway, I thought that was a pretty good line. But he was sort of being very dismissive and looking down his nose. And he was apparently a little tipsy himself. And uh, he goaded them into, well, not that they needed a lot of encouragement, but they... they yeah. Did a little cursing on the air, which is apparently a huge no-no over there at the time. Did you see this uh, interview? I didn't see the clip, man. Oh, it's crazy. I've read about it, but I didn't see the clip. But uh, John said the... Well, actually, Steve Jones said the F word first, and they missed it. Then John, under his breath, said the S word. <laughs> and uh, he he said, what did you say? And he said, oh, nothing, just a just a rude word, you know. And he goes, uh, say, you know, what was the rude word? And of course, then he said it out loud. Oh. Then uh, all hell broke loose in a way. And, and Grundy got disgruntled with them. Then he started flirting with Susie in the back <laughs> row, which made Steve Jones especially mad. And so he started dropping F-bombs. But then Grundy said, you got five seconds left. Do you want to say anything else? So he kept, you know, just swearing off the air so which completely made the press swarm the next day they lost their record deal grundy lost his job and it was wild you know so oh. it was sort of a sabotage even though it feels like the best publicity all the name ever. Of protocol you know yeah <laughs> it was such an interesting just an interesting moment like one of the greatest moments in in rock history and and certainly in punk rock history yeah. you know it's a very punk moment also, the the boat incident was, I felt like, a right. similar thing. Well, that's like sort of the whole no future thing. The song and all that surrounding publicity gave rise to the future of punk rock. And it's still going. And so it is. It's, a, it's a weird irony, even though that the no future was a whole different context. The, the fact that it gave rise to a, the future of something else. It's just so interesting and ironic to me. You know, <laughs> that is kind of, yeah. Well, like, you know, that you said that, like, the BBC, BBC One banned it. They didn't, I don't think the BBC overall banned it. It was more of a, BBC One's not going to do it, so most most other stations didn't do it. They didn't touch it. Right. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Right. And so, but, it you know, that sort of helped it become a hit. 
Because, you know, like we talked about, it, the forbidden is always a sweeter fruit. Oh, yeah. And most stores you know? refuse to carry it over there. Yep. And so Virgin Record stores had it. Richard Branson played a big part in this. He helped press the records right. and, and get and them out. Virgin, in time. They, and they said for, for a couple of weeks or whatever, they said, if you sell your own records, they won't be counted right. in the charts. And so Rod Stewart's I Don't Want to Talk About It was number one. <laughs> when everyone knows that God Save the Queen outsold it. Rod Stewart just looms over this uh, podcast, doesn't he? He always, he always makes an appearance. <laughs> but And then the whole irony of I don't want to talk about it, it's like, we don't want to talk about this song, you know, and there's just Rod Stewart over there singing this dumb song. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's just funny. It's it's, But, but it helped make the legend. That's yes. what punk rock is. It's purely a perfect story in the way that it was banned. It, it just everything blew up in all the right ways to make life difficult for the Sex Pistols yep. and for their manager and for yep. their record company. But for a story, it's just kind of beautifully yep. sabotaged, isn't it? You know. Yep. But uh, I mean, Rod Stewart's song there was so safe, you know, at the time yeah. and everything compared yeah. to this. And that's what you know, that's what the establishment wanted. Safe, sure, sure. You know, like even like some some charts. Just didn't even acknowledge that it was the song was out. Uh, God save the queen was out. They just left it off their charts completely. Oh yeah, you know. So it's like this was just was the the, the perfect sort of f u to the establishment, right? The perfect f u to <laughs> to rock and roll to the you know the monarchy. That's what I think I love about the song most. That and the like you always say, the guitars sound amazing. That album is so beautiful. The delivery is awesome. Yeah. Like, yeah. think about it. They're making their first album, and it yeah. sounds that good. It doesn't even hardly make sense. John delivers his vocal with such conviction and such confidence that he sounds like a veteran rocker, yeah. you know, yeah. in a way. But he does have that youthful energy, right, and a band, reckless abandon. Yeah. But the, the, the guitars are so great, and they only come out with the one album. Never mind the bollocks, you know, here's the Sex Pistols. Um, it's kind of a perfect thing in that way, too, that they never went with another album that sounded a little different than one that sounded like a reggae album or something, yeah, you know? It's clash. Like, yeah, it's, 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 it remains to be this perfect thing. Like, like if the Beatles just put out Sgt. Pepper's and that was it, you know, yeah. something like that, or yeah. Revolver. Uh, I wanted to talk about, and this relates to the Beatles as well, um, the band formed at the... You know, the sex shop or SEX shop, which is uh, had, you know, like it was based on fashions. Vivian Campbell is the name of uh, Malcolm McLaren's partner. And she was like a really like a fashionista and really cutting edge fashion designer. And so I felt like a partly the look of the band is also what helped make this all come over, you know, like her work. Um, Much like the Beatles. What was the Astrid's name? Uh, um, but Astrid and Stuart Sutcliffe, they were in that sort of Kircher, German. Astrid Kircher. Okay. They were in that German sort of underground, yeah. avant-garde that, that art, art scene. scene. Yeah. So the Beatles came out with a look that, that kind of took the world by storm. I feel like the Sex Pistols kind of had a similar thing. Yeah. It made me wonder about these moments where it all just really comes together. That fashion is certainly a little bit of a part of it, you know? Yeah. 
And John and and those guys were part of that and like safety pinning. They're close together. They said it's because they're poor, but it was obviously a statement. Oh, it was, you know, yeah. it's all it was marketing. One hundred percent marketing. <laughs> it's all marketing. And that's fine. That's, that's fine. <laughs> so what's interesting to me is in later years, you know, I, I, I'm sorry, but I think John Lydon is kind of a self promotional kind of a jerk. He can he's be. A, I think he's a very very egotistical kind of a. Prick. He's abrasive. He's in, but you know, later years he was. He called the song. It's just oh, it's just high camp. And the, oh, did the, he? Yeah. One of the quotes I love was like, uh, "It was nothing more than a way of recognizing the working class." You certainly don't think it's going to be taken as a declaration of civil war. Yeah. You know, but like, okay, but and I, he's right in terms of the way it was intended. But taken as a declaration of civil war, yeah, of course it would be taken that way. Yeah, In oh, that yeah. society... It was a revolution. It was, right, it was revolution. So, don't give me that crap. <laughs> now, do I believe that he was being tongue-in-cheek? And that, you know, yes, I do. But the way it's going to be taken, no. Well, you're, oh, now yeah. you're bullshit. Well, he's you getting, knew how it was going to be taken. He's, he gave the disenfranchised youths of, yeah. of Great Britain a rallying cry like no other to buck against the system, right? Yep. He said, I like this quote. He said, uh, you don't write God Save the Queen because you hate the British people. You write it because you love them and yeah. you're fed up with seeing them mistreated. He was beat up on the streets and stuff for this. He yeah. actually had some tension. They got a knife, like attacked with knives. And, Can yeah. you believe that, man? Yep. Uh, he also said, we declared war on England without meaning to. Yeah. Right, you know, so I thought that was an interesting. Uh, yeah. <laughs> here's one more good Leiden quote: "We alienated the entire country. If they if they would have hung us at the traitor's gate, it would have been applauded by fifty six million. So yeah. that that's how ugly it got for them. Yeah. You know, and it so. was never their intention. They were just like trying to express themselves, right? But they had to know what was going. You know, what was going to do? I mean, oh. they had to know." It was, it was with the timing. <laughs> I mean, it was great marketing, but also it's like, okay, you've got to be ready to prepare for these consequences. They were in the tinderbox, starting yeah. a fire. You know, yeah. uh, uh, there was a. He described their management of, as a monkey's tea party. <laughs> Good band name, by the way. It is or at least an album title. <laughs> yes. Oh, it is. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, he. Um, the, Malcolm McLaren and John Lydon have gone back and forth with each other as who who is more responsible for, you know, the pistols and their success and creating this perfect moment in rock history. And McLaren sees himself as sort of the Svengali character that put them together and it was all his idea and his genius that did it. I feel like they were just some real rough dudes, but they actually ended up being fairly good on their instruments other than Sid, who supposedly right. wasn't a very good bass player. But, but John's writing and vocal delivery, I think it was the magic. Yeah. It's why we're talking about it yeah. yet today. Well, it's funny that the Glenn Matlock got pushed out of the band, you know, who, Oh yeah. Glenn, Glenn in, 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 in favor of Sid, who was like, was kind of a shitty bass player. You know, it's like, he wasn't, he just had the style yeah. and he was friends with John Lydon, Johnny yeah. Rotten. Yeah. Uh, Sid, what a train wreck he ended up being really just awful. You oh, know? Yeah. I oh, think yeah. he's sort of a, he was sort of a somewhat of a innocent kid, but like he just kind of fell into just bad habits and he was impressionable. Probably getting him in the Sex Pistols is what ended up, you know, with his ultimate demise, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, 
he got on heroin, of course, and just got so bad, you know, for him. His mother bought him the heroin that he OD'd on. She was on it, too, apparently. So it's, there's, wow. a, there's a wholesome I bet that was a fun Mother's Day uh, <laughs> celebration. <laughs> oh, man, can you imagine? Yeah, I th- Glenn, they made fun of him for, like, uh, being a fan of the Beatles and, you know, like, just kind of being too sort of normal, you know. But he seemed like a probably a pretty good guy, Glenn, but he yeah. just didn't. I don't think it was very fun to tour with this band. Oh, um, yeah. Most of their gigs in, in Europe got canceled because of the controversy, right? And then Malcolm had a genius idea to book a southern United States tour that ended in San Francisco. But it, they went through the Texas and everything, and it yeah. was just awful. I read about that. Yeah, of course so, it was. So John quit on stage when they finally got to Winterland in San Francisco. Yeah. <laughs> like... It was like he was sabotaging them, right? Yeah. Why didn't they play New York, Detroit, Chicago, where they people would kind of yeah. get what they were, you know, more so being uh, open to what they were doing, let's yep. say. Where there was punk going on and not you know, like the early days of ZZ Top. Right, right. Yeah. It was the early days it of was. ZZ Top. It was the late 70s when you come you on. You know, that brings up another good topic, not ZZ Top in particular. But I was thinking about this sort of coincided with disco. Oh, yeah. So I, I thought of like this as a fight or flight kind of thing. When things get really difficult, things were difficult in the United States economically and things were rough in Britain with all these strikes and everything. But, you know, I thought people either chose this sort of escapism, which was disco, or the sort of the fight, which was this sort of punk. crusade yeah. of punk. Kind of an interesting yeah. interesting take. Uh, were you aware of this when you were a young lad? No, at all? not not really, because I was listening to just mainstream radio. So, as a kid in America, all I heard was the disco and the. We not probably never heard these songs, did we? No, I didn't get like really exposed to the Ramones till like five or six years later. Early oh 80s. yeah, yeah. So they were sort of a New York thing, and it had to work its way yeah. to us, didn't yep. it? Yep. Uh, my, my parents would have hated it if I'd listened to this stuff. They would have hated it. <laughs> would they kicked you out oh, in the streets? <laughs> probably at 12. I, and luckily I had a paper route. But. <laughs> um, I have a list here that I got from um, Rolling Stone magazine. It's the 40 greatest one album wonders, which I love the term one album wonders. Yeah. And I thought the top five was particularly interesting. I won't bore the listeners with 40 of them, but... Uh, number five was the Modern Lovers album, The Modern Lovers, yeah. eponymous, I guess. Um, that's got that Roadrunner song, yeah. Jonathan Richmond. That's a that's a good album, right? One album and out. Jeff Buckley with Grace that has Alleluia, stuff like that. Like, of course, he... Remember that, yeah. Yeah, of course, he died, you know, and couldn't make another one. Lauren Hill, The Miseducation of Lauren Hill is number three. So that's a... Fantastic album, which I don't don't understand how she didn't have another. Do you? Right. You know. Right. I think she's doing gospel music maybe now. Uh, That's why. Yep. Maybe so. Two Derek and the Dominoes, Layla and other assorted uh, love songs, but uh, Derek and the Dominoes really a super group. Yeah. So that was sort of something that came together. Of course, Dwayne Allman passed away, motorcycle wreck. But uh, but then number one. Never mind the bollocks, you know, the this uh here's the sex pistol, so kinda had to be number one. I looked yeah. through the list and I had to flip through, you know how they make you flip through? Yeah. Oh god. And I was thinking Takes I know forever. it's gonna be number one, you know, so I never would have thought number one. I would have thought high. Yeah. I would have yeah. thought top twenty, but not number one. That's yeah. 
Well, they also place it on their, uh, they place God Save the Queen uh, 175 on their list of 500 greatest songs of all time. And then it's also on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's 500 songs that shaped rock and roll. Has to be. Has to be. Yep. Because it did do so much. What an amazing, what an amazing tune, you know. But I just thought so many things came together to make it all just kind of just really explode in this one moment. Yeah. Uh, I don't think you could ever orchestrate it again to to do just so well. I mean, I guess these things just have to almost happen organically, you know. So yeah, that's what makes it like so influential because it's just real in real time. It is. So uh, you said there was a parody of this or some kind of uh, yes. Well, first <laughs> I want to point out. Yeah, good. When when the Queen died last month. Yes. Did you see that Leiden came out and was like... He said she was a human being. <laughs> well, but he said that he wanted to distance himself from any Sex Pistols activity which aims to cash in on Queen Elizabeth's death. Oh, nice. So, referring to the song... That's pretty decent, right? Well, he said the timing for endorsing any Sex Pistols request for commercial gain in connection with God Save the Queen is tasteless and disrespectful to the Queen and her family at this moment in time. And his band members, his remaining band members, said, we don't know what the F he's talking about. Really? Sorry. The <laughs> F he's talking about. We don't know what the F he's talking about. That way you can... Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It. There you go. But, like, they were like, we haven't done anything. People, the media just started playing it and revisiting it. Right. And they were like, we have not done anything to promote anything to make money. No, no. But he was, like, trying to be better than, which is part of why it makes me think John Lydon is kind of a jerk. Kind of he, a self-important jerk. He can be. I watch him. I don't think I would want to hang out with him very much. Yeah. But but I find him constantly interesting. He's never boring. Yeah, that guy. He's interesting, but I just think he's kind of I think he's kind of a egotistical jerk. Well, that's a little very, bit a little bit very, narcissistic. Very I mean, that's and that's fine. It's just <laughs> you know, Steve Jones now has a radio show in Los Angeles. Um, that's called uh, Jonesy's Jukebox. And, uh, you know, he was a real ruffian when he was a kid. His dad was a professional boxer left when he was two. He said he never felt wanted. He stole all the equipment so the band would have equipment. But now he's kind of doing a respectable thing out in Los Angeles, has his own radio show, and it's he's delightful. Jonesy's Jukebox is really good. He's got a great voice. Yeah, something to look up, something very cool. I'll uh, try to add a link to that in the show notes. Amazing, as far as I know, that these guys live pretty long, you know, yeah, fairly prosperous lives. That they look like the kind of band that was, other than Sid, they look like the kind of band that was just going to crash and burn. So as we start to wrap up, you're you made the point that I found a, a, a satire, like a, a yeah. parody. It was from the 1983 show SCTV. Right. Which had a lot of early stars. I love that show. Yeah. They created a fictional band called the Queen Haters. <laughs> and they, cre- they created a song called I Hate the Bloody Queen. <laughs> it was like like blatantly derivative. Yeah. Is that, was that the idea? Blatantly. <laughs> yeah. And so the, one of the lines is like, I want to drown the queen in the seas off Argentine. Man. I mean, it's just it's just like so brutal, but it's worth it's worth looking up. And I'm going to include a, a link to this video uh, in in the show notes. But the uh, the lead singer who was playing Johnny Rotten, was yeah. Martin Short, nice. Um, 
Always funny, Martin. The rhythm guitar player, Eugene Levy. Oh, wow. Yeah, from, yeah. from uh, you know, the, the recent hit show. Uh, Shit's Creek. Shit's Creek, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the drummer is John Candy. Wow. Yeah. And they perform Amazing. I Hate the Bloody Queen. And the uh, MC also is, uh, is a Eugene Levy. So I'm very interested in seeing this. I You've got to watch it. I watched fun. it again today. But, like, the the MC Eugene Levy is, like, all into it. And they keep cutting to the crowd, and everyone's just, like, ticked off. And he's, like, dancing and stuff. And at the end, he's like, ah, they're really good. They're really good. You know, and then everyone else is mad. <laughs> oh, great. And he's the only one really embracing it. So it's really, again, go to the show notes. I'll, I'll put the link in there, and you've got to watch it. It's so worth watching. I had never seen of it and had never heard of it. That's I awesome. watched SCTV a million years ago. I don't yeah. probably even didn't even know who the Sex Pistols were when I saw it. Right in the you know, early eighties. Do you feel like they were making fun of the Sex Pistols, taking a jab at Britain, uh, kind of uh, making fun of themselves? What, probably what? taking a jab at all of it. Yeah, the people who embraced it, probably the Sex Pistols themselves. Right. I think they were just. You know, the the best comedy is the comedy that will make fun of everybody. Oh, yeah. It doesn't well, matter sure. the, the political spectrum or the, you know, political correctness of it. Make fun of everybody and you, you're never going to get sued because, you know, you no one can say you're targeting someone. Equal opportunity offender. Right, and, right exactly. <laughs> like, if you hate everything... You know, my old friend Woody, I always said, you know, Woody doesn't discriminate. He hates everyone the same. Uh, it's sort yeah. of the same thing. If you're it's doing nice. that kind of comedy show, you got to <laughs> just gotta make fun of everybody. Yep. But I would implore anyone who hasn't listened to this album to put it on uh, Spotify or whatever and let it roll from the first guitar ablum. chord. Ablum, yes. Ablum. From the first guitar chord, it is just on and it is amazing and it's, it's raw and it's just raucous. Yeah. yeah, it's so cool. Fantastic. So we're glad to be back together. Yes, it's been a Nothing while. Nothing like having a Carlsberg together Cheers. and uh, doing yeah. a little podcast. It's great. Uh, season two continues soon. And we're with- about to record something else after we sign off here. I'm going to eat uh, the world's hottest chip, the Pocky uh, One Chip Challenge. So, so could we maybe link that to the show notes? We can so do that, know? yeah. <laughs> we're going to probably pop that on my YouTube channel. So yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll add a link to that too. There'll be a lot of crying and gnashing of teeth, I assume. So we'll, we'll find out. I don't know. I'm gonna have a glass of milk nearby, so we'll see. <laughs> oh, anyway, you have milk, good. Yeah. I'm, oh yeah. yes, I'm going to. I mean, I'm pretty brave, but I'm not that brave. Well, you as a you're what's considered a hothead, right? I'm a hothead. A, I'm a, a pepperhead lover, yeah. right? So it's gonna be. I eat hot stuff all like every day, almost. So but I've heard this is really over the top. So well, hopefully it doesn't disappoint us and is not too easy on you. You know, I'm sure. Yeah, it'll that'll be, be for a bad video. Yeah, I just hope you don't go through a couple of days of. Uh, well, like we have a heart attack or what? You know. Well, no, I don't think we'll. My brain explodes. I feel like you're too tough for that. So. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks for listening once again yeah, to the we're Rock almost the three thousand downloads. We appreciate you all. Yes. Uh, please stick around. We're going to record some more stuff soon. Um, and we'll hope you'll come back to Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole. And there's just Rod Stewart over there singing this dumb song.